Assemble! We don't mess around. We don't waste time. Over here at his hard line. Let's go! from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Welcome to the show. Let's get started. Greetings and good day to all you ladies and gentlemen out there. I am Jason, your co-host with our sovereign Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. He is at our side because he is the host with the most and the most high. He is in charge. He is in the captain's chair. He's at the helm behind the wheel. Therefore, he is steering this great ship through these crazy rough waters that we call life. So welcome to his hard line. Today is Saturday, November 25th, 2023, and you are listening to episode 640. We'll be doing a reading out of Job 40, and today's show is called Dual Governing Systems, and one is bankrupt. So daily disclaimer, please be advised that I am not a doctor, holistic health expert, financial advisor, biblical scholar, or bar lawyer, and I do not possess any titles of nobility or offer legal advice. And while I am a member of the Michigan General Journal Assembly in good standing, good lawful standing, by the way, I am not the official face or voice of the National State or County Assembly. I do not endorse or advocate for violence. And please note that the opinions, thoughts, and statements expressed on this platform are solely my own and for educational purposes, unless otherwise referenced. So there you go. So I want to say thank you for joining us on today's broadcast. And if you find extreme value in what we offer today and take away solid information as well as a positive message from this platform, Hit that subscribe button and share the show with your friends, family, and colleagues. See, our mission here is to spread God's word and encourage people to invite Jesus in to be, you know, in their heart while addressing significant topics related to family, true American history, and how to restore the republic of this great nation through the reassembly of states and counties. And so we encourage you, again... Engage with us by leaving comments, subscribe to our social media, and share our content. You'll find all this stuff at our website, hishardline.com. It's hishardline.com. And last but not least, if you choose to donate, don't feel obligated, but if you choose, there is an option to do so on my website. It is through Give, Send, Go, which I give 10% back to the campaign, you know, to the uh, platform for let me use their, uh, their, their technology there, their platform. Uh, but there's also a place to submit prayers. 
But no matter what you decide to do, God, you know, compels you to do. I just want to say thank you either way for joining us on the show and just keep sharing this podcast. That's the biggest thing that I ask you to do. Prayers and shares. That's the most important thing that I will ever ask you to do. All right. So um, where do I want to begin? So, so today's show is about, again, dual governing systems. Okay. Now, if you're in the assembly, if you're in a state, you know, a, a certain state and you are in the general general assembly, say Missouri general general assembly or the Alaska general general assembly or Michigan general general assembly. And I'm hoping that you're not following one of the wrong, you know, the wrong one. Well, Jason, what do you mean by that? Well, there is a nice little lovely group of people out there who are doing their damnedest to try to take over the assembly by doing a coup d'etat, okay? They're trying to do a coup by trying to take over the assembly. Well, guess what? That's about to come out into the open, and we're going to see a very distinct separation of the wheat from the shaft, okay? And that's going to come way, way, way out in the open. And so the people that are following the reprobates particularly out of, you know, a certain group that's out of Montana and California, you're going to find yourself on the wrong side of the fence very soon here. And when you see the proof in the pudding, you're going to be like, oh, crap, I've been following the wrong darn people. And for those that are actively engaged with those reprobates, you, well, there's just no words for you. But regardless of that, that's all going to come out in the open and then it's going to be, you know, you're going to be able to see the true, you know, the true groups for what they are. But back to the, you know, the dual governing systems, you got two, you got two ways of governance. You got a de jure, okay, which means uh, a governing system that is lawfully recognized, right? Having the rightful authority according to the law or constitution. And this is the rightful or legitimate government in the eyes of the law. Okay, now on the other side of the coin, you have what's called a de facto governing system, which refers to a situation where um, a government operates in actuality. It is, in fact, the governing body. However, uh, it has its control and functions as if it was legitimate, but lacks the legal recognition or the lawful recognition and authority. So basically, it's a government in practice, but not necessarily established by law or the Constitution. Now, I'll give you a hint, or I'll let you guess what kind of governance is in D.C., which is no longer... Washington, D.C., by the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you go on Google Earth, you can actually look at and hover over the Washington, D.C. area, and you will notice that it no longer says District of Columbia or D.C. It just, it just simply says Washington. Very interesting. Now, regarding the creation of a de jure government, it typically rises through the lawful processes, right, which are recognized by um, the constitution or the legal system, right? Now, in contrast, again, the de facto governments often come into power through force uh, or usurpation or circumstances that bypass 
legal processes. Now, in our case, we have a de facto system since the Organic Act of 1871 came to be. And if you're not sure what the Organic Act of 1871, well, you can look more into that. You can go to www.national-assembly.net. That's national-assembly.net. And you go to the forums. If you go in the forums and then you go into the search bar, type in Organic Act of 1871, you can actually find it there and read it yourself. It's about, I want to say, 14 pages. Go read it. The Organic Act of 1871 was basically when the United States was established as a corporation. Well, why did we have that, Jason? Well, because we had a certain amount of states in 1861 during a Continental Congress uh, in March of 1861. I can't remember the specific date. Forgive me. My, my, my brain is kind of still in sleepy mode. I kind of started this show a little late. I overslept my... Uh, <laughs> my alarm and uh yeah i just slept right past my alarm and i woke up and <laughs> looked at my time like uh oh <laughs> i'm supposed to be on the air like right now <laughs> a little tired um but forgive me on the specific date but it was definitely march of 1861 when congress uh walked out and you know basically what ended up happening was they ended up walking out because of certain things that occurred it got pissed off basically and left their seats and in basically in essence they were in the middle of a congressional session they didn't adjourn they couldn't adjourn they didn't have enough of a quorum to adjourn properly because in the middle of a congressional session a certain amount of states got up and walked out because they were very upset and so because they didn't have a quorum to adjourn it left the status of our um, representative republic, right, which is what we were supposed to have, in a signy die type of status. So what ended up happening was basically, a, you know, a vacuum got filled in there, and the wrong people took power. Abraham Lincoln became president unlawfully. And he wrote the first, you know, executive order of sorts. I think it was General Order 100. And it stated until the people return back to, you know, power. Basically, I have to get the order in front of me. Maybe we'll talk about one day. But, um, you know, until the people return back to their, you know, seats that they left abandoned, um, we are basically, you know, it was the first, you know, again, executive order saying that we are basically going to run the show now. And then that's when the Organic Act of 1871 came to be. Now, again, I'm just being very vague here, all right? Again, my brain is still operating on sleepy mode. But, you know, those are the two governing type, you know, types of governing systems. All right, now we're going to cover this a little bit in greater depth here at the second half of the show. But first, what I want to play, there's two audio play pieces that I want to play for you guys here. Now, if I can just open up my phone. There we go. So speaking of having two governing systems, now there is a rule out there in the tax code called the Augusta rule that the elite use all the time. And they don't want people like you and I to ever know stuff like this. See, first off, this is one of the reasons why we need to get rid of 
the income tax, the federal and state income tax, and just go right to a flat sales tax to fund our government because everybody pays the same at that point. And it's not based on how much you earn. And this way we can keep more of our hard-earned money. But listen to this little audio here for a second. This just goes to show you just exactly how much information has been kept from us, how we've been lied to, but just give this a listen to. This is very, very interesting. I've never heard of this. I think one of the most overlooked aspects of the Internal Revenue Code that the elite use for their benefit is the Augusta Rule, where you can rent out your personal residence for up to 14 nights, tax exempt. In fact, it's one of the only places in the Internal Revenue Code where it says, please don't tell us about your income. A lot of people hear that and think, well, why would I rent my house out to people I don't know? Well, of course you wouldn't. But if you'd made a corporate structure and put your family in that structure, well, then it's advantageous for that company in which your family resides to meet every quarter for business meetings or a conference. Where can they have that conference? At your house. And then you can charge them $400 a night. Let's say you put six people in there, 14 nights in a year. That's $33,600 you just made tax-free. And some people, again, think, well, my sister's not going to pay me $400 a night to stay at my house. And of course she's not. But your company will, especially if it means the business benefit and knowledge to the members. And now that money that the company paid you on their behalf is deductible to the company. You made 33.6 tax exempt, and the company gets to deduct it for another benefit of 21%. You just had a very, very good year and you've benefited the whole family, which I hope is doing its own family business because that's what the elite do. They don't isolate, they come together to build their own generational wealth. That's right, they come together and build their own generational wealth. And that's not that's just one rule. That is just one rule that they utilize. Do you imagine all the other loopholes and all the gray areas that they utilize to grow their own family generational wealth? I mean, really think about it for a second. It's, 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 it's just, it, it, the whole system is really a Ponzi scheme. It really is. Now, again, back to what he was saying, you can set up a corporate structure, right? To, to use that rule, you can set up a corporate structure to utilize that rule within the IRS code. Just like how when the Organic Act of 1871 came to be, it was a corporate structure that turned the United States of America into the corporation United States, all capital letters, and yet another corporate structure. Now, here's one more audio piece I'd like to play. Now, this one might get a little few people out there. They might get their, their tail feathers ruffled up a little bit. And that's okay. That's what, what we're supposed to do once in a while, right? Now, this one is about two minutes long, okay? I forgot what his name is. Um, gosh, I wish I could remember his name. But he he's one of the biggest advocates and believers in the flat earth. Uh, movement. And he comes up with so many proofs and video evidence and physical evidence about flat earth. I forgot his name. I used to listen to him a lot. And the reason I say I used to listen to him, it it's not to say that I won't still listen to him. It's just 
I've, you know, you go in phases with listening to people, right? There was a phase I was just in major flat earth mode, right? And I was, I was just consuming everything this guy said. However, I will say a lot of what he says, I resonate with. I'm like, well, you know, this makes sense. Now I'm going to play this audio because the reason I'm playing it, and no matter if the world is a globe, if it's flat, or if it's donut shaped or a hot dog shaped or it's inverted, I don't know, whatever. Okay. But really think about this one question. Why is it so relevant that the powers that be, right, the elite, why is it that they want to hide the real shape of the world? I mean, honestly, why? I want to play this audio. Very, very interesting. That's a new one. I hear, see somebody in the chat, Oscar was saying pear-shaped from what I know. Um, again, see, that's what I'm saying. That's the first time I've even heard pear-shaped. I heard egg-shaped. I have heard, you know, so many different shapes. I don't even know. But the question lies in the fact of why would they lie and say the earth is a round marble? Let's give it a, let's give it a listen real quick. Here's the thing. NASA isn't a space agency. NASA is the World Intelligence Agency. Everyone reports to them. The FBI, CIA, CIA, KGB, CCP. Well, why would they lie about the shape of the Earth? What difference does it make? NASA was created right after Project High Jump when Admiral Byrd flew out in Antarctica on the other side of the South Pole. He found land bigger than the United States filled with resources. Look at that. From middle America, he would be in South, where South Africa is or where, where Australia is. And another continent the size of the United States that no one has ever seen or set foot upon? What does that mean? What if he went from middle America over what they call Antarctica and then found another continent out here? And that would destroy our whole worldview of reality. Now, what if there's other civilizations here? What if these are where the controllers of the world live? Okay. What if... I'm getting chills right now. Yeah, so because is... the reality, your soul is going, yes, listen, listen, right? Get rid of, yeah. get rid of your program mind. People are, don't realize, like, well, Russia would have ratted us out and this and that. They're all in it together. Everything that you know is a lie. The United Nations map, Flat Earth map, International Maritime Organization, Flat Earth map, World Meteorological Organization, Flat Earth map, International Civil Aviation Organization. These are the things that control the world. Why do they all have Flat Earth maps? Well... I don't know. Artistically, maybe they couldn't. Artistically? Is that, <laughs> that your explanation? Here? Now, let me ask you a question. If this is where we live, would you call this the outer space? Sure. This or, what is it? More land? Extra territory? Extra terra? Extraterrestrials. Extraterrestrials from where? Outer space. Bingo. So why does it matter? Then when you understand that we're actually at the center of creation, this place was built for us, and we have natural law which says that nobody can take our free will away okay. once you understand that uh that nobody has control over you you take your power back you stop feeding this beast system that we're in globers think they know everything but they don't know anything and it's only for those that are willing to look and understand and, and see why it matters that get it you know once you get it you can't unget it now i know that's going to ruffle a lot of people's realities and, and it's going to ruffle people's minds i get it you know, but here's the thing until this information comes out definitively with proof with, um, uh, and again, and, and I, I'm just going to put it out there. I personally do not believe we live on a globe. 
Now, do I believe it's flat? I believe we've been lied to about what we live on. I believe that there is much more out there beyond what we've been told. And what I'm going to do, let me, let me, let me share this video. I'm going to share that right now. So, cause it's the video, the visual is pretty strong as he explains it. So forward, hold on, make sure I want to make sure this is the right one. Okay. Uh, forward, hit our line, submit. Okay. What I just played is now on with the video as well. Check it out. It is very interesting. You have to question these these things. I like what Oscar was saying here about NASA. Not a space agency, right? Yeah. Not a space agency. And he says, there are definitely secrets hidden from us, some above our current understanding. And to go back to the tax thing, because I don't want to overlook what Leslie Liberty said here. And it is a bit of a light audience today, just because it's we're coming off of Thanksgiving weekend, or we're in Thanksgiving weekend. People are traveling, people are with their families, so I knew this would be a very light live audience, but no big deal, you know. So that's why I didn't feel so panicked when I was a little late to the show. Um, but she was saying income taxes. Back to that for a minute. She says income taxes are not supposed to be for average people. Contracting your labor for a salary is not income. And that is correct. She is absolutely correct. She continues to say businesses make income and should be paying all taxes, including property taxes. But see, if I recall correctly, and I've read through the entire Organic Act of 1871, those actually who should be paying taxes would actually be government employees. If you were contracted with the government or were a, or are a government, government, gosh, can't speak today, a government employee, or you contracted in some form or fashion working for the government, you paid taxes on your income if you worked for the government. Now, you and I don't work for the government, at least I can't speak for you, but I don't work for the government. I work for XYZ company, right? I'm not contracted with the government. So therefore, my income should not be taxed, okay? But anyways, but yeah, she's absolutely right. And I did not want to overlook that. Thank you for saying that because that is very, very true. Now, before we get into the rest of the, the podcast here, Let's get into um, the reading of Job chapter 40. And this will be, uh, we got two more chapters after this. We got chapter 41 and 42 after this is done. Uh, but, and then we'll cover the second half of the show, dual governing systems. One is bankrupt. Now, starting with Job, uh, cha- uh, cha- yeah, excuse me, chapter 40, verse one. And I believe I pulled this verse out of the new international version, I want to say, the NIV. If I recall correctly, I believe this is NIV. And the Lord said to Job, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I speak, I excuse me, I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's and can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. 
Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them all in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that you, your own right hand, can save you. Look at Behemoth, which I made along with you, and which feeds on grass like an ox. What strength it has in its loins, and what power in the muscles of its belly. Its tail sways like a cedar. The sinews of its thighs are close-knit. Its bones are tubes of bronze. Its limbs are like rods of iron. If ranks, it ranks first among the works of God, yet its maker can approach it with his sword. The hills bring, in, bring it their produce, and all the wild animals play nearby. And under the lotus plant it lies, hidden among the reeds in the marsh. The lotuses conceal it in their shadow. The poplars by the stream surround it. A raging river does not alarm it. It is secure, though the Jordan should surge against its mouth. Can anyone capture it by the eyes or trap it and pierce its nose? And that is the reading of Job chapter 40, verses 1 through 24. So as we read, as we read this passage, we witness uh, a visual here, and we witness what seems to be a pretty deep exchange between um, humanity, right, and then the Father in heaven. Hold on a second. My wife is texting me. Um, she was just asking a very important question, so I just wanted to make sure I answered. Um. But Job was confronted by God and his power and wisdom, right? And and he responded with humility and silence, recognizing the impossibility of contending with God's justice, because you're not going to contend with God's justice. You're just not going to. You, 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 you will lose every time if you try to go up against God. I mean, that's there's no other way to put it. The imagery of the behemoth that we read about, right, it, which seems to be like a very, I guess, majestic creature, for lack of a better term, right, that's showcased uh, in this in this passage, but it showcases the astonishing complexity and the power um, that it has in the natural world, right, underscoring the divine craftsmanship and its supremacy. Now, more importantly, what we read here was. God was questioning Job, right? God's questioning of Job highlights the vastness of divine wisdom. Now, contrasting starkly with man's limitations, Job's realization of his own limited understanding stands as a very powerful testament to the humility that's required when faced with the mysteries, you know, beyond our comprehension. See, in today's world, where knowledge often presents itself as all-encompassing. This reminder of our finite understanding becomes, becomes increasingly pertinent. So embracing humility doesn't really hinder our quest for knowledge, but rather it should encourage a deeper respect for the most, you know, for the vast unknowns. It should urge us to approach learning with more of an open mind, right? You should acknowledge that, you know, 
our existence remains a fraction of a fraction of its entirety when it comes to the grand scope of what God has created. And I think it's pretty important that we foster that appreciation for the complexities of life that we can't even fathom. And we've talked about this over the last couple chapters. How the thunder roars after lightning strikes, the creation of a snowflake, the instincts of an animal and how they operate in the natural in the natural world. I mean, these are all very complex things that God has created that we can't wrap our mind around. The mysteries of a woman. I mean, if we're going to be serious with ourselves, men, you're never going to understand a woman. And yes, I'm trying to be a little funny here, but seriously. And so, you know, in an era, era, I should say not an error, but an era where confidence often overpowers humility and understanding, you know, it's pretty crucial to recognize that our, you know, our comprehension of the world's intricacies is very, very limited. And that call to humility echoes through the chaos and the uncertainties that we encounter inviting us to approach our existence with reverence and respect to the, you know, for the mysteries that elude our understanding. Only God knows the number of those mysteries. We can never ever understand them, nor can we count the number of those mysteries. We won't, and we can't. And additionally, this passage also prompts introspection. Well, Jason, what do you mean by that? Well, it challenges us to examine our attitudes towards power, towards justice, and I guess ultimately our place in the grand plan of existence. Are we driven by humility and respect for the unknown, or do we, like Job at times, not all the time, but at times, seek to justify ourselves at the expense of understanding God's mysteries? See, this question gets into our motivations and attitude towards the unknown and our pursuit of understanding the mysteries of God. It's basically asking whether our primary focus is on humbly acknowledging our limited understanding and respecting the vastness of what we don't know, or if instead we sometimes prioritize justifying ourselves. Because you know how we like to do that? It seems to be human nature that we love to just justify ourselves and justify our actions, whether for right or wrong. We love to justify our beliefs and our actions, right? Even at the cost of overlooking or dismantling the profound mysteries inherent in the divine. Again, folks, it's about introspection, questioning whether our approach to life and spirituality and or knowledge leans more towards, you know, having an open hearted quest for understanding and the humility in the, you know, and have humility in the face of the unknown or, you know, if there are moments where we let our desire to validate our beliefs or questions, you know, or actions, I should say, uh, if they overshadow our acknowledgement of that vastness of what we don't comprehend, essentially it prompts us to consider whether our ego or our pursuit of truth guides our interactions with the mysteries of God himself. I mean, really, it's quite an interesting question when you think about it. 
especially as people in today's world, you know, they seek out absolute truth of what is really going on in the world today. And we got so much information coming at us left, right, and sideways. <laughs> That's why discernment is so important to sift through the truth versus, you know, over the BS that's out there. Are you going to clutch onto a narrative because it is one that you are hoping for? Or it's the one that you so desperately want to believe in due to the outcomes that it could later deliver? Or are you willing to drop your pride and ego so that you are able to internalize the real truth when presented to you? Even if you were wrong about what you once believed this whole time. Again, remember what I said in the beginning. There are so many different things that we've been lied to about, ladies and gentlemen. And when you are presented with the truth, when you are presented with the evidence and the facts and say, and people say, look, this is what has been really going on. Are you going to be so arrogant to still believe in what you believe because you don't want to be wrong or you don't want your reality and your world to be shocked? Or are you going to be open hearted enough to allow discernment to seep through you from God and really look at the information with an open mind and open heart and really, really understand what's going on or do your best anyways? So basically, in simpler words, this passage we just read, ladies and gentlemen, it should invite us to be respectful and humble, recognizing that we can't know everything. If you think you know everything, you are an arrogant fool. I don't know everything. You don't know everything. None of us will know everything. And if we do, then you must be God. And if you say you're God, I am running the other direction because I don't want to know what he's going to do to you by making that claim. But again, it should encourage us to appreciate the amazing things in this world. And we should approach it with wonder and respect. And it should remind us to stay humble and connected to something bigger than ourselves. But sadly, we live in a world where too many people want to be bigger than God himself because of self-serving interests, because they want to be famous or because they want to be rich. And that's what, where Satan comes in. Cue Satan and his legion of demons. I can give you fame and fortune, but you have to, you know, do this for me. You need to say God is this and he doesn't, he isn't real. Basically sign your soul to the devil. Sign your name on that contract to Satan himself in blood. So anyway, I hope you hear me loud and clear on that, ladies and gentlemen. There's too many people out there that think they know it all. Well, you don't know it all. You will never know it all. So let me take a quick little break. We will be right back. I need to wet my whistle down a little bit, and then we'll continue on the other half of the show. Dual governing systems. One is bankrupt, by the way, and we will be right back. So I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. And I hope you didn't eat too much. Let me see. 
the wife is sending me another text. Why do you keep saying sorry, babe? I, it's okay if you have a question for me. It must have been something, you know, important. <laughs> you never have to say sorry for texting me in the middle of the air <laughs> or on the air. Um, she keeps saying sorry, sorry, because she was asking me, did my mom call you? I'm like, nope. And she goes, sorry. Okay, sorry. <laughs> it's all good. It's not like it's a formal broadcast for some big, giant, multi-million, billion-dollar media company that has like 80 radio stations or anything like that. Not a big deal. It's called the His Hardline Podcast. The wife can interrupt if she wants. That is the benefit of being the wife, and that is the benefit of the kid being the kid. They can interrupt as they see fit. Now, hopefully not all the time, you know, if it's something stupid you know hopefully not but if it's something relevant there's a legit question or something that needs to be addressed they can interrupt that's that's the privilege they get um she said mini panic attack she called and asked if i was home but then wasn't answering so i panicked well hopefully she's fine uh let me know how that goes so anyway um i'm sure everything is fine hopefully um it's probably nothing, though. It's probably nothing. So, all right. But back to Thanksgiving. I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving and, you know, you had good family time. Uh, I don't know if you had a crazy uncle at the dinner table. And if you did, I wonder if you uh, played that audio clip of, <laughs> of Donald Trump saying that he is the commander in chief, right? He is the commander in chief. Um, boy, wouldn't that be fun, though? Uh, I would love to know more about that if you actually had that situation. Uh, so anyways, but hold on. I'm just trying to situate something here in my computer. Uh, bear with me here, guys. Just bear with me. Come on, this stupid phone. I'm trying to set something up here. Okay. So. The dual governing systems. What is going on with the hold on guys? I'm so sorry. I got my my phone is just not cooperating the way I need it to. It's very frustrating. And I think we're in business. I think. Let's see. There we go. Okay. Oh, so you know, in contemporary America, now a lot of people don't understand the difference, like I said, between what a de jure government is or a de facto government is. All right. Very easy. I went over it a little bit at the beginning of the show. But in contemporary America, people don't realize that we have two distinct governance systems that coexist. And sometimes I wonder if that's the reason why those coexist bumper stickers actually, you know, were invented. But the traditional union of sovereign states and a corporate system that has gained prominence over the last seven decades and longer, you know, there are many people out there that were unwittingly engaged in, you know, with this corporate system without having a full awareness or disclosure. See, the roots of the United States lies in a very unique uh, union of sovereign, of, you know, sovereign states forged through pivotal documents like the Declaration of Independence, 1776, or the Articles of Confederation, uh, 1778, and the Constitution uh, in 1787. See, these documents symbolize 
independence from British colonization and formed the basis of a system founded on the principles of sovereignty and individual liberties. Now, however, there was a significant shift that occurred, particularly marked by events such as the Gettysburg Address in 1864. Now, remember, Congress stepped out in March in 1861. The Organic Act came to be in 1871. So you have the Gettysburg Address in 1864 and the incorporation of the District of Columbia via the de facto Legislative Act, Organic Act, might I add, in 1871 executed under emergency powers. Now, this transformation delineated a distinction between the original sovereign states and a newly formed corporate entity, which is identified in being uh, in all capital letters. Look at your driver's license, ladies and gentlemen, or your birth certificate, these adhesion contracts. You were formed also into a corporation. That's why your names are all capitalized, not just a capital letter in the beginning of your first and last name and middle name, and then followed by lowercase letters. No, they are all capitalized. Now, this distinction between these systems is very crucial. Because the sovereign system traces its origins to the resistance against British tyranny, emphasizing the fight for fundamental rights, such as the representation in taxation. Now, this struggle culminated in the Declaration of Independence, the Revolutionary War, and the acknowledgement of American colonists as free sovereign individuals. And then so the emergence of the corporate system within American governance occurred through the deliberate legislative acts, notably marked by the reorganization of the District of Columbia into what we now know as a municipal corporation. Now, this transformation fundamentally altered, altered the landscape of governance. It basically established a corporate entity separate from the traditional sovereign structure. And then because we have a corporate, you know, D.C., they incorporated. And because of how that was structured, now all of the municipalities across this land. Is, so if you have a zip code, which we all have a zip code, right? That's a corporate part of that structure. Now, there is much smarter people than I that can explain this in greater detail and greater at greater length. I think Oscar might be one of them. Uh, there's a few people that would know more about this. Kirk over at Kirk's Law Corner. But if you have a zip code, that is part of a corporate structure. Did you know part of the corporate structure, people abbreviate their states with just two letters, right? Two capital letters like Michigan is MI, California is CA, since Rietta just popped on the chat. You know, the corporate structure abbreviates their states with two letters. But did you know, according to the de jure system, and never be sorry, Rietta, only be sorry for stuff that you did that was illegal or unlawful or anything like that. <laughs> Don't ever be sorry. It's it's the holiday weekend. I'm just glad you're here. Better late than ever. I agree with you. <laughs> um. That's one thing we're trying to teach our daughter, right? And my wife 
more importantly, tries to teach herself. Don't ever be sorry for something that you didn't do that was wrong. You did nothing wrong here. You uh, apparently making pumpkin pies. Wow, yummy. That sounds good. Don't ever be sorry for something you never did, ladies and gentlemen. If you, if you did it, if there is something you never did that was wrong or unlawful or illegal, okay, never be sorry for it. Like if somebody asks you for help, but you are too busy, and this is a little sidebar, by the way, and you're just too busy, somebody asks you, hey, can you help me move uh, on Saturday? Um, and if you can't because you made a prior commitment, okay, don't start off by saying, oh, sorry, man, I can't. What are you sorry for? Well, I'm sorry I can't help them. Well, no, you don't. that's nothing to be sorry about. You just be like, had I not had prior engagements with my family, I would, but I can't you know, I would help you, but it's nothing really to be sorry about, you know? So anyway, um, but yeah, Rita is saying having another Thanksgiving tomorrow with family. Wow. <laughs> but she says, I am guilty of saying, I'm sorry all the time. I hate letting people down. Well, I think that's all of us. We all hate letting people down. That's my wife too, you know, but that's something she's trying to teach herself and teach her daughter at the same time. But nonetheless, but yeah, back to the zip code, like Oscar was saying, zip codes, right? It's a code. As Kirk says, it's a code. That's all part of the corporate structure. Now, how a state is actually abbreviated according to the de jure system would be like, so for example, Michigan would be M-I-C-H with a period or W-I-S-C for Wisconsin, right? W-I-S-C with a period, not W-I. Anything with a two-letter initial and a zip code, that's all part of the corporate structure. And again, like I said, this transformation fundamentally altered the landscape of governance in America. This corporate entity identified by names, again, spelled entirely in capital letters, represents a distinct and parallel construct within the broader American governance framework. Its formation and distinction set it apart from the original foundation of sovereign states united under a different set of, um, I don't want to say this, under a different set of principles and rules and codes. See, this divergence between the traditional sovereign system and the newly established corporate structure highlights the intricate evolution and divergence of governance paradigms within the United States. See, the concept of sovereignty during the American Revolution marked a pivotal shift in, governing, in governance principles. And unlike European systems where sovereignty was commonly vested in monarchs or ruling authorities, the revolution in the United States triggered a very profound transition. So here in this country, sovereignty underwent a significant transformation. It transitioned from a centralized authority to the people, to the people. And this shift was very revolutionary. It established the populace, right? The, 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 the public, the populace of America as the true sovereigns of the nation. 
And yes, without doing a stupid status correction or a, uh, what do they call it? A, um, uh, affidavit of repudiation or whatever AVR and David Strait tries to con people into doing, which by the way, don't do that. Ladies and gentlemen, you're going to give up your rights altogether by doing that nonsense. But again, this shift was very revolutionary. Essentially the power it gave the people the power to govern, to shape laws, and to decide the direction of the country. And it all shifted from a single centralized entity to a collective will and authority of the people. This is what it means to reassemble our states, ladies and gentlemen. The distinction is fundamental to the American system. It diverges from historical European models where sovereignty remained centralized or concentrated, I should say, not centralized, but concentrated in the hands of a ruling elite or monarch. Now, in the United States, the essence of governance revolves around the empowerment and involvement of the people, signifying a departure from traditional hierarchy, you know, hierarchical structures prevalent in many other parts of the world. Key documents, again, shape the evolution of this governance structure, like the Declaration of Independence, Articles of Confederation, and the Northwest Ordinance. Understanding the divergence between the original sovereign system and the corporate structure is very paramount, ladies and gentlemen, because this comprehension should really underscore the necessity of the reassembling of our states in reverting to a de jure governing system rooted in common law. This is why we are working so hard and tirelessly because this transition holds immense importance when considering the engagement of the populace and at the local level. Listen, folks, reassembling your counties and states, it becomes very pivotal in reclaiming that sovereign status primarily because many individuals have unknowingly entered into a de facto system and its corporate structure through adhesion contracts like birth certificates and social security numbers and marriage licenses and this license and that license and other similar agreements, returning to a, a de jure governance system aligned with common law becomes a means to regain individual sovereignty and uphold fundamental rights within the American governance framework. Unfortunately, unfortunately, within our country, there exists a very sleepy population, a very lazy population, right? Seemingly content with being enslaved and dictated to. Oh, they love that master. Oh, do they love that master? Yes, big brother government, we will give you all of our tax dollars. Please keep putting that boot on our neck. I love it. Love it. There is a significant portion of people out there that lack the capacity for self-governance. I mean, we're just going to be real and call it for what it is. You know, they are unaware of how to navigate towards freedom. Even if given explicit instructions at gunpoint, this stands as one of the most substantial challenges in reassembling our states, hands down. There's a widespread reluctance to take responsibility for oneself and the future of this nation. Again, if, if, 
<laughs> I tell you, people, man, you know, if, if it doesn't affect people directly, they just won't, they won't put a care in the world to about it. <laughs> yeah. Like Oscar said, did the founding fathers need marriage licenses back in their day? Nope. They didn't need any license. That's right, Leslie Liberty. They didn't need any license. And I find this very incredibly frustrating when I hear phrases from people online or in person, right? Face to face, like, enjoy the movie. We're watching a movie. Or grab your popcorn. I mean, you guys know that this is a big pet peeve of mine. This is not the first time I'm expressing this, you know, but these people want to rely on the notion that, hey, the military white hats have everything under control. Okay. Now, while I agree with everything that we're seeing is a movie of sorts. Okay. Yes. I'm not going to grab my popcorn. No. Yes, while I agree that the military white hats, the military alliance, because of the executive orders that were put forward for Commander-in-Chief Donald John Trump, yes, they do have big things under control. But when it comes to returning to our governance, our de jure governance, right back to a constitutional Republican form of government, that has to be done by the people. And I hate to break it to you, ladies and gentlemen, but the military is waiting for the people. But these phrases that you keep hearing, grab your popcorn, and sit back and enjoy the movie. You know, these phrases instill a mindset, and this is what pisses me off. They instill a mindset of passive reliance on others to solve our problems. That reality, the, the reality is that such, you know, pas you know passivity and trusting others to do our work, right, to do our bidding, has been very detrimental to us in the long run. We can't afford this any longer. This is why we got in the problems that we have today, thinking that the swamp was going to correct our problems. Hence, it becomes imperative to have an engaged and informed population. Especially with in our general general assemblies, which are essentially the representation of free and independent states. We need individuals who actively participate and take charge of shaping our collective future, steering away from a culture of complacency and dependency. I hope you hear this message loud and clear, folks. This is one of the biggest reasons why it is so challenging to reassemble our states. And I feel very, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? I feel the same frustration that Kirk has. And while I don't know it all, I'll never claim to know it all because I'm still learning myself like a lot of you. And some of you might know a lot more than me. You guys are reading a lot. I know Rietta is reading a lot of books in common law and things like that. Oscar, he does very heavy research in a lot of different areas. There are so many people out there. Josh Lehman, Bill Hermanson, Destry, 
there's lots and lots and lots of people out there that know way more than myself. And this is why I like to have people like that, that I can trust and have them on the show and speak on what they have learned based off of what they have read and, you know, comprehended because it's that iron that sharpens other iron where we learn off of each other. Oscar says so profoundly right here, the journey must start somewhere. Start right now. That has to be the most profound and thought-provoking statement of the night, of the, of the year, actually. I'm going to just make that claim right now. Oscar says right here in the chat, the journey must start somewhere. Start now. And I would agree with that. Start somewhere, but start now. Don't feel overwhelmed that you don't know Corpus Juris Secundum, you know, book 38A, and you don't know what it's, you know, what to do when impaneled in a common law grand jury. Don't, don't feel overwhelmed because you don't know, uh, the founding documents of America. Don't feel overwhelmed because you've never heard of the fundamental orders of 1638. Don't feel overwhelmed because you've never read, uh, the field training manual 2000, excuse me, 2000-25, which was again, a, a, a field training manual released by the war department to the army on how to restore a Republic back from a democracy. It, 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 and yet he says right here, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Slow and steady wins the race. Just start somewhere. Just start somewhere. Leslie Liberty just asked me right here. She says, Jason, I sent you an article a few weeks ago via email on grand juries. We are trying to restore. Did you get a chance to read it? Oh, you know, it doesn't ring a bell, but if you could do me a favor and I apologize, if you don't want to, I don't blame you because I get so much email and so many things that I get. I, I skim through a lot of stuff. And, and if something really pops out, then I, like I, then I put further attention to it. Do me a favor, resend it. And if you can, if, if, if you have time and it's not too much to ask, uh, like in the subject line, just put like a bunch of asterisk or something in there just so it like it stands out and I'll make sure I'll, I'll, I'll click on it. Cause like I said, I, I get so much that I, it's sometimes hard for me to, you know, um, read through everything if that makes sense. But if you, if you could, I will do that. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I'd be happy to read it. Actually. I like reading and learning new things. Um, and that goes for any of you. Okay. Um, you know, if you're trying to get my attention on something that you want me to really read or maybe cover on the air, you know, put a bunch of asterisks, um, in the subject line, you know, cause that'll really be like, uh, that'll, that'll stand out from everything else. Cause I get a lot of junk mail. I don't know how junk mail gets formulated on these emails that I establish because I don't sign up for crap. And all of a sudden I get all this stuff from stupid, you know, this, that, and the other. I'm like, what, how, like, I don't sign up for any of this stuff. But anyway, um, but that's really all I have for you today, guys. I, I hope this was helpful. And by the way, the one that is bankrupt, because that is in the title, 
dual governing systems. And we're going to cover this at greater length in future shows. Um, I'm just kind of scratching the surface. But as far as the dual governing systems, the one that is bankrupt, yeah, that would be the corporation. That would be the corporate de facto swampland that we all know as DC. Let me see. Oscar is saying I have I, it, all I see is all I see him say is don't read this on the air. Uh, let me read one comment above. I have been collecting info on Royal Rifle and his. Oh, never mind. All right. We'll leave that alone. <laughs> That's interesting. So anyway, um, boy, I'll tell you what, I'm a bit of an idiot someday. <laughs> don't read this. And I start reading like a putz, <laughs> like a freaking putz. That's why I stopped in the middle of it. I'm like, you dim, dimwit. <laughs> Talk about having a blonde moment here. <laughs> Stupid Jason. I tell you, that's why I stopped right in the middle of it. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Oh, I'm still tired, ladies and gentlemen. I'm still tired. It must be, I'm still in that food coma. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Oscar. What an idiot I am. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, it is hard to multitask. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. I'm losing it, guys. It's time for night, night time. What time is it? All right. It's quarter after eight, my time. All right. <laughs> I think this is a perfect time to close out in prayer. <laughs> All right. Heavenly Father. Oh, heaven help me. <laughs> we thank you. Oh, first off, thank you. Thank you for humor. I tell you, if we didn't, if we didn't laugh, we would certainly cry. <laughs> so, Father, we thank you for the time. Oh, we thank you for the time that we had with our family over the week and over the weekend. And we pray for the safe travel, first off, for everybody. Um, because we know there's a lot of people that are on the roads that are flying. So our, my biggest prayer I want to put out there is safe travels for everybody and their families. I saw way too many accidents today and, um, it's just very sad. You know, when you go on the road and you go to visit family and sometimes certain family members don't make it home because of black ice or because of something happening and, Anyway, we just pray that just give safe travels for everybody, please. And we just pray for those that um, didn't really have family to spend time with during these times where, you know, it's a time of year where a lot of families unite and they come together uh, no matter what their differences are. And yes, I do understand that this is also a time of mourning for the Native American tribes. Um, and my, my prayers go out to them as well, because I believe historically, uh, this was a very painful time for their past as well. And even though I don't quite fully understand it all, I just want to just send out a prayer for all those that recognize this time of year as both a thankful time of year, but also a time of uh, mourning, no, you know, depending on where they come from and what they, what they know to be true. Um. Father, we just ask that you continuously keep help, you know, to grow this platform. Um, I thank you for entrusting me with this platform to, you know, speak boldly and to put your word out there on the air. I hope I never disappoint you. I hope I don't get things wrong. And when I do, you know, I try to correct myself. Uh, Rietta adds to the prayer here. 
And I like when she does this because she is a prayer warrior, ladies and gentlemen. For those of you that don't know Rietta in California, she's part of the true California General General Assembly. She writes, Father, uh, thank you so much for the season where your name is being mentioned even on the secular radio and televisions. Uh, please save the unsaved. Please grow the assembly and protect it. Yes. Thank you for Jason and his family. Well, thank you, Riata. Please grow his audience for your glory and let us be used by you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I really appreciate that, Rietta. And remember, there is a very large group of people out there, like I said at the beginning of the show, that are in uh, California and Montana that are really trying to throw off the, um, they're trying their absolute best to throw off the progress and the hard work that the good men and women in the true general general assemblies of these states, like California, and Rietta is one of those who is in the California general general assembly. They're trying to throw off our progress because they understand what's going to happen. But more importantly, what they're trying to do is they're trying to gain, you know, they're trying to self elevate themselves by trying to take something over that they honestly don't even have any understanding in, nor do they have the backing. And like I said, all this is going to come out. All of the, all this truth is going to come out. Oh, and I do want to add to this prayer as a PS. I'm glad you put this in here, uh, babe. Um, she asks if I can pray for the women in her Bible group and those that are hesitant to come, that they find the courage to join. Yes. Um, and Father, as a extra added little PS prayer, we pray for my wife's Bible study group. It went from three women to, I think we had, she had five or six women on that Sunday. Um, but yeah, we pray for those that are also still hesitant to come. They keep saying they want to come. Don't give up on us. Um, we pray for those that are still hesitant. So we just ask that you encourage them to join the group. Um, and I appreciate what Rietta said right here. Lord, please bring the ladies to that Bible study. Yes. And Leslie Liberty says, I wish I lived by you. I would definitely join. I tell you what, babe, or, or, uh, folks, <laughs> babe, with you too, because she's part of the listening audience right now. Um, it, it is amazing to see how this how this is growing. I mean, literally, she only had like two or three ladies the first time. And literally, it doubled. Let me think for a second. I'm trying to think of the amount of women extra that came. Let's see. So there was Kim, Liz. Uh, I'm trying to think. One, two. I want to say it doubled, right? Three at first and then five in a second. Okay, so almost doubled. Excuse me. Almost doubled. So that's good. And it's probably going to continue to grow. Um, so. You know, and then the men's Bible study that I go to every other Tuesday. So she does it every other Sunday. Then the men's one that I typically try to go to is every other Tuesday that same week. And she might possibly have seven coming, you know, next Sunday. Um, which, by the way, speaking of that men's Bible study, remember how I told you I hit that deer coming home from Bible study like over two weeks? It was like, no, what, now two and a half weeks ago now? It'll have been three weeks coming up this Tuesday. My car is in perfect condition now. It is restored. New bumper, new fender, new hood, new grill, new everything, freshly painted. And now half of my car looks brand new while the back half looks rusted and dinged up. <laughs> it's a 50-50 car. The front half looks new. The back half looks like a pre-owned car. I'm like, well, damn. Oh, and new windshield. Got a new windshield too because that was nice and cracked up. 
But yeah, the front end looks marvelous. Don't look at the back end. Back end looks terrible. <laughs> uh, Oscar asked, any deer burgers fill in the freezer? No, because that stupid buck ran off. I, Me and the, the cop that came to do the report, we tried looking for the darn thing and it ran off. Um, probably severely injured because, I mean, I smoked that thing at 58 miles an hour. That thing, those things are resilient. Let me tell you, those things are resilient. Now, if it died, it died deep into the woods. But typically, when they get injured, they run about 20, 30 yards off the road and into the woods, and then they bed down and typically die or, you know, at least re try to regain their strength. So me and the, the police officer, the county cop that came to do the report, we were trying to walk and do different zigzag patterns, you know, 20, 30 yards into the woods to see if we could jump it up. And we had no luck. We spent 10 minutes doing it, had no luck. So, yeah, that stupid thing ran off. Never found the deer, which sucked because I was really excited to have that venison in my in my in my freezers. But, you know, I guess such is life. I guess I have to do it the old fashioned way and buy a bow and arrow and a deer license and some camouflage and get outside and sit in the cold and freeze my kahunis off and wait for a stupid deer to come by. Or I can just go right up the road and just buy a bunch of beef and venison because there is a deer farm up the road from me where I could buy venison if I wanted to. So I could do that. That sounds a lot better, a lot easier. And I don't have to sit in the cold like a, like a, like a, like a nincompoop. I had enough of those days. Look, I, I used to do that when I lived in Wisconsin, used to hunt. I enjoyed it. I don't know if I really want to do it anymore. Don't really know if I want to do that anymore. So anyway. But anyway, but that's all I got for you guys today. I appreciate you joining me, especially on this holiday weekend. You guys are awesome. Uh, Rietta, I hope your pumpkin pie baking is a success. And um, don't do, you know what? I'm going to share one more little story with you, and then we're going to close this out. So back to pumpkin pie. She reminded me of a story, and I'm going to share this with you. Now, my wife has probably heard this a dozen times now so far, and I shared this story over Thanksgiving dinner at her aunt and uncle's house. So a funny thing about pumpkin pie, when I used to live in Wisconsin, <laughs> when I used to live in Wisconsin, um, my stepmom would bake a lot. She would bake pumpkin pie and cakes. I mean, she baked everything from scratch. She was really good at this. Now, when it came to regular cooking, she sucked. But baking, she was great at. She baked a lot of good stuff. And so one day I came home from work. I was in high school. I think I want to say I was like a junior in high school, junior, maybe a senior, right around there. And I came home from my job because I worked, you know, for three, three and a half hours after school. And I came home, ate my dinner and the living room and the dining room is like one big great room, right? It's like one big giant room, but you know, half of it's the living room, half of it's the dining room. You sit at the dinner table and literally can watch TV from the living room and dining room, if that makes sense. Like just one big giant room. And so there was a pumpkin pie on the, on the stove and there was one piece missing. And so after I ate my dinner, I asked my dad and stepmom, like, Hey, you mind if I scarf up a, a piece of pie here? My dad's like, you know, yeah, whatever, go ahead. And, you know, he's sitting in his recliner. They're watching their all in the family or whatever the heck they were watching. So I carved out a piece and slapped it on a plate, sat down took my first bite and I was quickly grabbing the water to wash it down. <laughs> I had to grab the biggest glass of water to wash that pie down. And then I was looking for a bunch of whipped cream to lather it because it was terrible. 
but I didn't say anything. So I kept eating it. It had no sweetness at all. So I kept eating it. And I ate it all the way until it was gone. My plate was empty. And like three gallons of water later. Now I'm seeing from the corner of my eye, my dad is kind of side eyeing me. He's kind of like looking at me and he's like looking at me in confusion. And then looking back at the TV, looking back at me <laughs> and I'm like, what are you looking at? He goes, did you taste anything odd with that pie? I said, yeah. He goes, you dumbass. He goes, there was no sugar in it. Why'd you keep eating it? <laughs> like, I didn't want to be rude and say something. And then you knock my butt out. He goes, you bonehead. He goes, you didn't have to eat the whole thing. He goes, why'd you eat it? I said, again, I didn't want to be rude. So I kept eating it. And I'm not going to say anything and disrespect my stepmom in front of my dad. Because if you knew my dad, my dad would just knock my, my block off. I'm like, nah, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'll just suffer the consequences with my taste buds and demolish a ton of water in the process. It was horrible. Pumpkin pie without the sugar is disgusting absolutely disgusting. Rietta says right here. Oh, okay. True story. One year I left the sugar out by, by my brother-in-law, but my brother-in-law spit out the pie because I forgot the sugar. We laughed so hard. Uh, she says, Oh my, my brother-in-law didn't care. Uh, it was so embarrassing. <laughs> and then Leslie Liberty says right here, I did the same thing with cake, uh, for a family reunion one time. It was horrible. <laughs> Yeah, that was terrible. Pumpkin pie without the sugar is absolutely disgusting. But anyway, I thought I'd share that story with you guys. I'm trying to go back in my journals, by the way. I want to share more stories with you because, you know, I, I went back and I, I just I go back and I listen to some of this, you know, read some of the stuff that I wrote down over the years. I have a ton of journals that kind of, you know, talk about what was going on during that time of, you know, uh, that time and place of life. Um, and there's so many memories that I have and so many memories that have good stories and a good lesson behind it that I want to eventually share with you guys. Um, so, you know, in due time, but that's one, I definitely want to share with you. So what's the moral of that story? Don't forget the sugar and the pumpkin pie, Rietta. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are out. It's time for me to go night, night. I hope you have a great rest of your weekend and we will see you back here tomorrow and hey my main my main man donnie's in the house too hope you're doing well brother um he says i was mean <laughs> this is donnie by the way is rietta's husband ladies and gentlemen he says i was mean because i said the pumpkin pie was the worst pie I ever tasted it's <laughs> <That's> amazing <laughs> i will share one more little story uh babe yeah she's still on here right yeah there she is um Wait, hold on. No, we're going to do a bug of wife segment just for a quick second. I can't remember what she made. Hold on a second. Let me call her. Do, 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 do. Get your phone ready, babe. Hold on. Let's see here. Hi. Hello. Hi. What you doing? Cleaning the kitchen. Cleaning the kitchen. I thought you were up and up, up on the up upstairs. No, I just put hair in the bowl. Oh, hey, what was that thing that you made one day for dinner that I absolutely 
could not stand to swallow and i had to like take a big sip of water every day what was that it was like it was sh shredded chicken yeah but what was in the shredded chicken because you just made shredded chicken last week and i had no problem eating it what was in it that made me go Bleh. i have no idea because it was the same kind of thing I don't know. I don't know. There's something very wrong about that chicken. You don't like shredded chicken. Yeah, that's because when you eat it, it, when you used to eat it out of the can, it looked like dog food. Oh, I haven't eaten it out of the can in probably two years. I know, but it's still the visual <laughs> reminds me of freaking nasty looking dog food. <laughs> it, was, it was probably just a trigger for you. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not even kidding you. Katie made this shredded chicken dish. It one... tasted really good, okay. Oh, okay. Okay, in her defense, it tasted really good to her. So Katie used to eat shredded chicken out of the can once upon a time before we came awake and realized that that's gross and disgusting. But she used to make her chicken salad with the chicken out of a can. And I used to have a dog that I used to feed canned dog food to. So I was plagued with that stupid chore as a kid and have to feed the dang dog half this can of nasty looking mush poop looking slop. And it made me gag every time. So whenever Katie would open up a can of chicken, shredded chicken, the smell and the look and the sounds of it being scooped up in this sound just made me dry heave every time i'm like uh, uh, like i couldn't do it i was like no nope nope so katie made this shredded chicken dish one day and it wasn't that long ago right babe it was like only Probably like a month or so ago <laughs> no it was longer than that but yeah probably two but months when you made it and she she could tell i was uh i was struggling because I was drinking a ton of water. She goes, you don't like it. I'm like, no, this sucks. Don't ever make this again. <laughs> so back to you, Donnie, when you said that you were mean, said that was the worst pie ever. I don't think that's mean. I think that's just called being brutally honest. <laughs> no, you were, I had to call you out on it. This is true. Yeah, she had to. Because that's your signature thing. When you don't like something, you chug your water. <laughs> That's how they knew. I asked you, and you were chugging you out. I'm like, you don't like it, do you? She, no, it's fine. She's just no, look, it's not, is it? She's like looking at the tears streaming down my eyes, and my face is turning beet red because I'm trying to like, <laughs> like trying to swallow every bite with every ounce of energy I had in my body. I'm like, oh my god. I'm like, this is terrible. So she's sitting there looking at me, like enjoying her meal. And she's like, this is just scrum diddly um shits. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and I'm sitting there in tears like, can I have a salad? <laughs> We're not in tears. It wasn't that bad. Oh, uh, well, you know, I have to provide a little shock value here. You know, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, I got to be funny. But no. You got over it because the last <laughs> shredded chicken you absolutely love. I will say that. Okay, so. Fast forward to last week, she made a shredded chicken dish, but she didn't mix like anything in it or anything like that. And that was actually very, very good. And yes, that I devoured. Um, it had like a dry rub on it. And I put it in the, uh, the Dutch oven. <laughs> that's, that's right. Oh, man. But folks, oh, man, that was terrible. But yeah, that's my signature move. I won't say anything because I don't want to be rude, but I will chug a ton of water. So you better have a Culligan water uh, thing right nearby. <laughs> All right, love. I'll, I'll see you here in a second. <laughs> I love you. Bye. I love you. Bye.
Well, there you go, folks. I figure we start that. We end that off with a nice little, you know, little laughter. So I hope you all have a great day, great weekend. Thanks for joining me on this holiday weekend, this, this Thanksgiving weekend. Um, I look at all of you like family. And so if you do have traveling to do, um, please be safe. If you um, have family traveling to and from you, I hope that they are safe. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you back here tomorrow. And remember, as it states in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Remember, those were words written in red. Those were words by our Father, Jesus, all right, our Savior, our King. I hope you have a great day, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you back here next time. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, remember, ladies and gentlemen, we are firm. We are steadfast and we are uncompromising. The enemy has crossed that line for the last time. It is up to people like you and I to hold that line. They've crossed the line way too many times and it is time for us to stand up this republic and get after it. We gotta do this for God. We gotta do this for our families. We got to do this for America, for the voiceless. It's time to get after it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining the show. I've been called out on the chat, ladies and gentlemen. I did not end the second part of the prayer as a PS. I did not add an amen. So with that, we say in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Sorry, guys. See, that's my sleepy mind still, still going... Don't be rude. Don't be rude. You are fake news. Go ahead. Don't forget to check out the website, www.hisheartline.com. And if you want to know more about how to get involved with your assembly, go to www.national-assembly.net. That's www.national-assembly.net. It's time to get active, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go. We have losers. We have losers. I don't need anybody's money. It's nice. I'm really rich.
Thank you for joining us here at His Heart Line. We'll see you back here next time. So I'm going to leave now. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. 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 I'm out of here. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay? Bye-bye. 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 Bye. Bye. Thank you very much for coming. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Go have a good day. Bye. Bye. Bing. Bing. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye to Iowa. Bye-bye. And to other places. Bye-bye. 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 Bye, folks. Bye-bye, folks. That's it. Bye-bye. Wave goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. 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 See you sometime. Bye-bye. Good luck. Bye-bye. Have fun. Bye-bye. We're leaving. Bye. Enjoy yourself. Bye-bye. Enjoy yourself. We're leaving. Bye. Bye-bye. Gotta get on the plane. Oh, bye-bye. Bye-bye, darling. Bye-bye, Frank. You're a wonderful guy. Bye, everybody. I can go home now. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. I'm going. I'll go to Turnberry. I'll go someplace that I own, and I'll enjoy my life, and that's the end of that. Bye-bye. We're finished. We're finished. Goodbye, everybody. And that's the end. And everyone says, oh, that was fine. Bye, Felicia.